Let us read from Ezra 7. Now after this, in the reign of King Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitibob, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meraioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel." This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the law and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree that anyone in the, of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem." With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. Whatever else is required for the Lord of your God, which it Falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province, treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to one hundred talents of silver, one hundred cores of wheat, one hundred baths of wine, one hundred baths of oil and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants in the house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such things as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors. And before the king's mighty officers, I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, just so you know, we had our first men's learning community this morning, and it was incredible. I, um, you know, when I have to be a part of Sunday school, um, knowing that I have to preach on Sunday morning, um, it just sometimes feels like a task or something I have to do. But after that thing this morning, I'm looking forward to next week already. So um, if you're in there this morning... Be consistent and come back next week for sure. I have your phone numbers. Remember, you put it down. And um, I can find your address, too. Um, And if you weren't there this morning, it's not too late. The train hadn't left the station. The buses will wait. No. Um, (laughs) It's not Billy Graham Crusade. But um, close, because I want you to be there Um, um, at all costs. Just not at all costs, but try to be there. Uh, on Sunday morning, um, I'm having a, already a good time, and it's always already the first time, so I'm looking forward to it. I believe this is going to change our church. I think this is going to change the heart and, and level of devotion and commitment and fire, if you will, that the men in this church have for the Lord, for their families, for their world for themselves. Um, And so I'm just putting my expectations real high because I think God's involved, and you can do that when he's involved. Amen? And uh, Pam Canty came down from her class and said it was the women in there are all signed up too. You have their email addresses and their phone numbers. And um, this like making the roster of a team for her. She's the coach. She don't want to have to cut anybody. Um, And once you start going to that class, there's no free agency. So please, please, no free agency at this church. Go to the class, and then once you get in there, stay in there. Because God's at work. He's at work right there. Where's God? Right there, at work. Um, So, and I'll talk about a little, little more about that this morning as we... Look at Ezra's seventh chapter as we continue our sermon series. Last week, we saw the return exiles finally finishing rebuilding the temple of the God of the Bible in Jerusalem. And believe it or not, it's almost 60 years, 58 years, 57 years after the completion of the temple that we are finally introduced to the namesake of the book, Ezra. And this introduction and description of Ezra's coming to, Jerusalem, to Israel, Jerusalem from Babylon, is filled with window dressing, I would call it. It has, official, it has an official government letter and, and various lists of authorities and people and provisions that were to accompany him to Jerusalem. But bottom line, Ezra was God's help for God's people. In fact, after I titled this sermon and I 
called Charles, who put the bulletin together. I'm like, hey, change your sermon title to Recognizing God's Help in Your Life or Recognizing God's Help. And I had a different title, kind of a cooler title, whatever. And I said, could you change it to that title? And then when I started studying again, after changing that title, I realized that the derivative of Ezra's name means just that. The Lord has helped. Well, the Lord has sent help even to you and me this morning. Even though this happened a long time ago, it is a blueprint. It's a derivative of what God continues to do in our lives. But there is so much like then, so much window dressing in this world when it comes to God's help. There is so much going on in this world around us that, that in, in us that it shades and blocks our knowledge and view of God's grace that we can miss. And we even reject God's help that's right there for us. So where's God's help? And what does it look like? And how does it come? This passage in Ezra shows us that first, God's help comes through the ordinary. And secondly, I only have two points. That don't mean a short sermon. And secondly, that God's help calls for an extraordinary life. Comes through the ordinary, but calls for an extraordinary life. If we look at verses 1 through 6 with these crazy names in here, um, I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm going to try. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitab, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzai, son of Buki. I hate that name. Why does it have to be Buki? Son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all that he asked for, for the hand of the Lord God was on him. And then look at verse 19 and 20 with me, if you will. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you should deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, that you may provide it out of the king's treasury. Now, what I want you to see, especially in those first six verses with the crazy names, is that if we look at the, 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 the description and particular genealogy of Ezra, it is clear that Ezra is the son of somebody of the son of somebody from somewhere. Why is this important? I want you to recognize that Ezra called the Lord's help is a mere human and man through which God's help comes to God's people from God. And he comes with the administration of the king with all the stuff in verse 19 and 20 talks about necessary to the ministry God sent him to do. The stuff he needed to do, the ministry, he actually could put on the back of a camel, on the back of a mule, and he could carry it there, and it can be there. God's, what does God's help look like and come like? Like the administration or ministry of God's stuff through people and persons and means and vessels in real time and real space. Yes, the help you are and may and have been seeking from God is not ordinarily extraordinary. 
No, it's not usually through some vision you have where you get some trance in the middle of the night and God comes down or some big cloud in the room. I'm not going to deny any of your spiritual experiences right now or, or challenge them and all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't ordinarily come that way. The Bible teaches us that he uses, this is God, the one in heaven, the one that created the world in the space of six days with the word of his mouth, that he uses foolish things and regular things of this world to give us his extraordinary and spiritual power and truth. Ezra was a preacher pastor who basically was sent with a traveling tent revival to renew and help the people of God. So good news, right? God's help comes in much the same way as it always has, preaching and fellowshipping and sharing with God's people and and going to learning communities and Bible studies and being in prayer groups and participating and coming to worship service. And here is what is amazing. It is not hundreds of miles away and, and months of travel away like Ezra was from Israel. Your prayers have been answered. God's present help is sitting right next to you. You are sitting right in it. You, are, you can walk right into God's help for your soul and lives. It is on the church calendar. And it can actually put on yours. Let me be careful not to make God's help so ordinary that we forget or don't see that though he sends us help through extraordinary earthly vessels, it comes with divine power. We look at verse 1 through 6. Let's look at the last verse. Verse 6 there. Then Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for. For what? The hand of the Lord his God was on him. Then drop down to verse 9, if you will. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. And then look at verse 28, just in case you think it's a mistake. Whoever, it says here, and, who, and God who extended to me his steadfast love before the kings and his counselors, before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. That's Ezra talking. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. When it says the hand of the Lord was on him, Ezra and his ministry geared for God's people, which included being sent by the king, it meant that God was going to do and doing his supernatural purposes and powers through Ezra and the ministry. Let me put it this way. God's help is only helpful because God's hands are on it and in it. If we just set up a tent revival and started preaching good things, and we just started saying, hey, everybody, let's change, let's do better, unless the Lord's hands are on it or in it, it is an ordinary thing that doesn't do anything for your life. It is not help unless God is doing the helping. That, 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 that God's ministry through people in real places, I, I want y'all to get this visual here, with things are like a surgical glove on a surgeon. 
where all things, all ministries, all ministers are conformed to the shape and size of God's hand according to what God wants to do for and in you and me. And it is actually him reaching in and changing our lives, stretching people and ministries to do a supernatural work of help for you and me. I was at the dentist the other day. Surprise. Ten years of being your own dentist. (laughs) And I was being nosy, looking around. Surprise. Because, you know, I got to figure out what they're doing. Just in case they need my help. Pretty smart guy. I've been taking care of my own teeth for ten years. And I was looking around, and I noticed, you know, they have the regular blue gloves, Right? But then I looked, and they had the pink bubblegum-scented surgical gloves. And I kind of wanted those. (laughs) I'm not a kid, but I kind of looked, man, that might taste good. Because the rest of the metal stuff she has in my mouth, holding it open, didn't taste good. But get this. From what I could read, the same company and same materials as the regular serious blue ones were on the bubblegum ones. And I was thinking, the way my mouth was feeling, blue, green, pink, bubblegum, I just needed the help the hands inside the glove could deliver to me. I say this because it's easy to despise and dismiss how God's help comes. We are more concerned about the color and the shape and the personal taste of the vessel. How flashy and cool and relevant and awesome a new ministry or church or pastor. And I can preach like this now because I'm 10 years old and I'm not the new cool pastor anymore. The preacher is that we are not really seen and can be tricked and led by all kinds of colorful and delicious tasting and smelling cults and heresies and spiritual damaging shows of flashy ministry where we become church hoppers looking for the better and newest flavor. It's God's hands in it that matter. I mean, who is Ezra? And what does he come with? And who does he come as? He is a chosen, ordained man of God who look at verse 6 and then verse 10, which, and it talks about him being learned in the book of Moses. Look with me, if you will, at that last verse again. I mean, not last, but verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given him. And the Lord of God's hand was on him. And then if we jump down to verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. You know what that means? Ezra was going to do things by the good old book, right? By the word of God, he was going to be ordinary with the help God was sending. Nothing Babylonian and new. Nothing Persian and spiritually innovative. Mixing in some of their worship notes. You know, I've been hanging out with the Babylonians. Them dudes are pretty smart. And trust me, the Babylonians and the Persians on a scale were smarter than the Jerusalem folk. God's people were probably, were not the smartest people. Okay? You look back in history and see what the Babylonians and the Persians is, and my Lord, those are smart dudes. But Ezra, the Bible says, Ezra set to know what? The same old word of God. 
And so all the stuff he asked for in verse 6 was what was necessary and ordinary, what Moses had written way back. But get this, powerful means of grace for God's people to get his help for their souls and lives. You know, us Reformed Presbyterians have this technical term, the ordinary means of grace. Doesn't that sound exciting? We should start a bunch of churches. Come to us, Presbyterians. We're going to give you the ordinary means of grace. You know, sounds very unleavened and unsalted, right? Non-fat. That uh, non-fried, that means not much taste, right? And these ordinary means of grace, just so you know, include the word which is the teaching and preaching and reading of God's word, the sacraments of the church, baptism and Lord's Supper, and I want to add with it godly fellowship and community, which goes with church discipline, and then the leaders of the church God has given to lead us in much of those things God is asking for and working through and calling for in the Scripture called the regulative principle. Don't you like that one too? Don't you want to be regular? That didn't come off right, did it? (laughs) So you can get rid of your sin? (laughs) Okay, let me quit. I'm not going to go down that road. But we have those things. Listen to the words those Presbyterians use. Ordinary means of grace and the regulative principle. That means we're going to look at the Word of God, and it is going to tell us what will make help for you, what will offer help from you. Not the new word of God, not, not some new theory, not the latest guy on TV. Man, Pastor Brown, you sound like the old conservative. No, that, that's just the way my faith works. It calls us back to the word of God. It's regulative. It's ordinary. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can see it. But what we're trying to see is that the power of God works through this ordinary stuff. I, th- I think sometimes we believe that we have such extraordinary feelings. And man, let me tell you what this world does. Man, you come with your feelings, and you have some things happening in your life, some circumstances, some problems, some lust, some desires, some issues, some disappointment in your life. And you know what the world does? It comes with some new extraordinary, st- um, extraordinary story or, or something to pump it up. And what happens is you get all mixed up and you think that there is, that, that, that your extraordinary feelings and issues and, and new kind of dilemmas and, and now we are so sophisticated in our personal theology, theological and mental and emotional health that God's help and how it comes is and can't be enough. It is easy to look at what we do at worship service and at the church and community and prayer groups and learning communities as bubble gum for our issues as just regular and routine and superfluous or or religious extra. But the word ordinary, when we talk about the ordinary means of grace, doesn't just mean regular. It means regulated. It means a regulated ordinance that means specially given and crafted by God to fit his hands to powerfully, extraordinarily help God's people who are dealing with powerful and extraordinary issues beyond their control and ability. So when you think ordinary, I want you to think ordinance. What if you went into the doctor? And he was like, we're going to have to open you up. We're going to do some surgery. We're going to help you. But I'm not going to use the regular gloves. 
not the ordinary gloves, not the ones regulated by the FDA or something like that, okay? I worked up something in my garage. <laughs> I'm a pretty smart doctor. I went to a good Ivy League school. Just trust me with this stuff. Don't you want the new thing? That's what we do with our lives. We don't want the word. We don't want the sacrament. We don't want elders. We don't want this. We want a new book. We want a new kind of way of doing things. We hate when the sermon's always about, hey, go to community group, go to learning communities, get into the word, be around the sacraments. We get tired of that. I'll tell you what. Why don't you manufacture some religion? But I want you to think about what it would be like for you to go to your doctor and your doctor to say, hey, some of us around here, we got a new way of caring for you. But let's not use the office. Let's not use the medical office. Let's go over to my house, right? So leave God's house and, and God's way of dealing with it, the ordinary and the regulative, which is regulated by God, by his word, and do your own thing. I warn you, God's help is ordinary, but it has extraordinary powers for your issue. Help is not only the way, not only on the way like it was for God's people through Ezra, but good news for believers in the church today. Help, God's powerful divine help is here for you to be touched and changed now. Now. Not tomorrow. Right now. But God's help not only comes through the ordinary, God's help always calls us to an extraordinary life. You know what we have to be careful of, though, when we talk about help? Throwing words out there like help, God's help, in the context of our American prosperity gospel season Christianity. Because it is easy to only recognize God's help as self-help, or as helping ourselves, helping our girls, helping our dreams and aspirations. And I don't want to go as far to say that your dreams and aspirations and goals were not put there by God. But we must recognize God's help as a call to extraordinary living. More than normal. The world's normal or regular, but God's calling his people, as we see in Ezra, to something more than that. Look at verse 6 again with me. Ezra was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. I'll start right there. Let's go down to verse 10 again, and it says this. For Ezra had had the, the... for Ezra set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rule in Israel. Verse 11, this is a copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned, learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and the statutes for Israel. Then further down in verse 25 and 26, if you look over there with me. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Ezra's ministry, God's help, is no joke. God's help was not 
was about helping people, not halfway calling them to, to, to live life and honor God, but demanded and commanded that they give their all to the Lord and for all the right reasons. I said extraordinary, right? This is going to bring you down a little bit. In verse 10, it says that Ezra was not only knowledgeable in all that the word of God said, he was not only a Bible theological nerd, but it's hard. He can pronounce all those words right, by the way, okay? He had it memorized. He, he could do it, okay? If he had to preach a sermon, he wouldn't have notes, okay? He was that kind of dude. But, he, but it said he's not only a theological nerd, his heart, the Bible says in verse 10, was set to study the word of God. And that he was not only studied and got it, he got, and got it inside, it transformed him so that he lived out what he read. He was a preacher and pastor par excellence, right? What all of our preachers want to be, a scholar that makes you want to holler, right? So skilled in what God said, believing what God said, loving God in what he said, and then obeying what he said for the right reasons, he would in turn, get this, he would in turn call God's people to be transformed by God like he was. That they too would give their all, inside and out, heart, mind, and soul to honoring, obeying, and worshiping God. It was so serious. God causes this pagan polytheistic king who was merely concerned that worship go well so that people didn't rebel and maybe their God would keep them under control and not uh, cause an insurrection. That as verse 25 says, he sends Ezra with a worship police force. That's our house deacons. Try to leave here and see what happens. No. And, with, and they had the power of corporal in punishment on those who didn't live out their faith. It was some serious church discipline. If you didn't worship the Lord right, or you decided to do it in your own way, folk would take your stuff, put you in jail. This is the regulative principle. We need to start this in our churches. Look how y'all looking at me. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, as a press-trained pastor, my book of church order lets me know that my powers, the church powers, are spiritual and not corporal, right? That church discipline, church community cannot be a hazing and paddling fraternity. But let me emphasize, according to what we read, no less serious in shaping and calling the people of God like Ezra and calling his people to be worshipful and honoring and affected by the word of God in heart, mind, soul, and behavior. All of our lives committed to God. I remember when I was in seminary and we were studying something in the Bible. Imagine that. And these are pastors who are going to be pastoring the future Gen Xers, Yers, Millennials. I don't know what they call it today. All them folk. I remember them raising, somebody raised their hand and they asked a question we all asked. What if they don't feel it? It sounds so mean. Well, why would we tell them to live obediently to the word of God? Don't they need some emotion with it? You know, how do we keep it? Oh, we love this word. It's in our church planting material. How do we keep it authentic? Right? How do we make it real? Well, you love it. You love what you do for God. We can't tell people what to do. 
right? We can't say, this is what God says. Here's the Ten Commandments. Don't commit about don't, don't do this. Don't steal. We can't actually give them the law of God and the word of God. We have to make them feel good first. We must teach them, right? Right, professor? We, we got to say, all right, you know, you don't really have to do it, and you're not really doing it unless you really feel good about it. And he said this. Sometimes obedience comes first, and the heart follows. Oh, no. We could have small churches. Because I'm supposed to get y'all spiritually liquored up first, right? Right? We're supposed to have such a show. Your emotions should be so intact. You should so be wanting to do it in your lives that you would only do it because you want to. Right? That, that obedience is, and the call to an extraordinary life is, is, is something that, you know, has to be, in, again, in your emotional wheelhouse. The Bible teaches us sometimes you obey anyway. Gosh, I don't want to preach this. Okay, I have to say it. You force it in anyway. <laughs> and you get your heart to catch up sometimes. This takes me back to the law enforcement that Ezra had with him. God's help enforces his truth in our lives. Not E-N. I am, right? In forces, right? It, the word of God works because God causes the work and it goes in our heart and it is so powerful. The kingdom gospel is powerful enough that we believe that as we preach it, that it goes into your heart and it enforces the truth that we are called to live and obey and serve him rightly by the word, by the law, and it enforces and it actually demands that our lives wake up. And be alive and be real and be authentic. God's help does invasive open heart work that breaks in from the outside to get in. Scripture in another book of the Bible says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I want to add to the Scripture this, not just the word of God, but all that comes from the word of God, that the stuff Ezra was bringing in, and God was sending his help for hearts and lives of his people, the preaching and teaching of the word, the whole worship life of sacraments, and singing and praying and being in God community, and that stuff is what makes the heart work and love and live and drive extraordinary living and behavior for God. Man, I tell you, I keep coming with these illustrations, illustrations, and they're all about my body breaking down. So my ankle was hurting real bad. Like it has been for about 17 years. And I said, finally, I go see him. You know, I'm usually give some, if I get enough Motrin in me, I can get over it, right? This time it was too hard. I'm getting too old to get over it. And he was like, yeah, you know, let me take your ankle. See, it should be bending this way. I'm like, man, are you, have you lost your mind, dude? It doesn't want to bend that way. 
but let me help you. You do this exercise every day. No, I don't want to. Look at my ankle. It is speaking back to you. It is saying, I don't go that way. It is saying something wrong in me. I don't like it. Ouch, right? And I think our lives are the same way. When you come with the word of God, we say, hey, try this. Ouch, no, leave me alone, pastor. Leave me alone, scripture. Leave me alone, God. Leave me alone, friends. Leave me alone, community. I don't like the way it twists my schedule. I don't like the way it twists my work. I don't like the way it twists all these things in my life. My life is saying, ouch, Lord. But it is therapy for your soul so you can walk right with God. I don't like that. I don't like how God works sometimes. But you know how it is. You kind of don't like it, but you learn to love it. Because you can walk, which means God's help comes with disciplines of faith. We have leaders sent to monitor like the magistrate and judges with Ezra, sent by God ultimately to judge your life and heart according to the word of God and even be used by God through his word to show you what's off in your walk with God. And sometimes even reach into your life and your heart, the most dangerous places in you, to reach into the sensitive parts of your lives, thinking where things are not right and holy and worshipful to God. And then many times and places and situations where God uses people, things to enforce his truth. Calling you to go to crazy things and infuse your lives with him. God's helping Ezra came to call and exercise insight, insist on it, and force God's people to give their all. Let me say this. We all want to be authentic and obedient. But if God's help is just only motivated by our giving our all to God, that it would simply help us by making us feel helpless. Look with me at verse 21. And I, Artaxerxes the king, made a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven requires you, let it be done with all diligence. And he lists all this stuff. Whatever is decreed, verse 23, whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. And then verse 27 and 28, the end. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended me his steadfast love before the king and his counsel, before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Ezra and all of this call and enforce to do right could have been on paper in a sophisticated postmodern Christian talk, a setup for spiritual abuse and condemnation that crushes and smothers the soul of people. I mean, you got the goody two-shoes church theology, nerd boy, be like me, slackers, Ezra, and then the weight of the law, God's law, and the king's enforcement. But God's help here is not, it is never about condemnation or fear, but about the gospel, about how we are called to give our all only because and to a God who first gave and gives his all for us. Now, when we, when we talk about the king turning to wrath of God, the king didn't know what he was saying. But when it says he turns, give these sacrifices and turn the wrath of God away, what God was actually doing in the context of his people was he was saying and declaring that through these sacrifices and all the stuff needed for the temple worship, God was going to avert and turn away his wrath and anger from people who had not given their all to him. 
God actually wanted to reach those whose hearts and behavior had fallen off. He, he wanted to offer them grace, offering them forgiveness, and offering them a sacrifice. Well, the sense reminded them in story that the Bible says, I chose you when you weren't something God would choose. See, God didn't send Ezra so they could just see how much they had fallen behind in their outside behavior and how poor their hearts were on the inside. That would be normal. But this is extraordinary. He sent Ezra so they would be able to see how beautiful and incredible they could and would be to God and see that you were and had fallen short, that look at you and look at God. He still and will and has promised to love you and keep you and make you what he wants and what you should be. When I saw the pictures of my teeth, it was ugly and nasty. And she was like, you see that down in there? That's cavity. That's a problem. That's because you ain't done right. My dentist didn't show that to me to say, okay, see your problem, see you later, go in your pain. She showed me so I could know what she promised to do for me. God doesn't show us our issues and our faults. He doesn't give us his law. He doesn't call us to an extraordinary life for us to be failures. But so, so that we can see as we look at that picture, that we will see a picture for people who God loves and is going to heal and is going to help. He is a kind, yes, and like I said before, he, Ezra would have been a condemning picture, but he was not sent to condemn with the law, but that God's people could be righteous and holy and authentic before and know the love of God for them. Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? Not the son of Sariah like Ezra, but the son of God. That God did send him the living law and righteous and heart of God into the world, not to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death so that you can give your extraordinary life and have extraordinary life before God. There's no other way to put it. Jesus is our help. At the cross, we see the nastiness of our sin. But we also see the promise of God to help us.